Welcome to Africa on Focus, where we share our success stories. Africa, the continent, the young diaspora, entrepreneurs, influencers, change makers, and so much more. I'm Miss Abba, and this is Africa on Focus, the podcast. All right. So um, today we're talking how serious is mental health? Um, you know, uh, mental health, which has been uh, more than a trending topic this past year of course, um, due to the pandemic. Um, but us both government and private corporations focus more on how to sustain mental health for professionals and families alike. Nevertheless, this remains um, quite a topic that is unique within African communities, or is it not? Well, to, um, you know, to, to join me or to inform me on this um, topic, our special guest is a familiar face and she has been um, on this show um, to grace us with her knowledge about mental health among Africans and which is also one of our, you know, viewed, mostly viewed um, podcasts of 2019, if I can remember, I wasn't here. But she's a young um, Ghanaian with a doctorate trainee in counseling psychology also with experience in mental health in the Netherlands and UK. So, you know, please help me welcome Raisa Kumaga. And I have my virtual applause ready. <laughs> uh, uh, Raisa, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Hello. Hi there. Hi there. Hi there. How, How you been? been? Yes, I've been good. It's been a chilled, relaxing Sunday. How's your Sunday? Like, what, yeah, what did you do? What, what do you do on a I mean, Sunday? Here, I mean, here in the UK, the churches are still, well, the big churches are still closed, so it's still all remote. Yeah. Although I think they are starting to um, open it up a bit more with, res- with true reservations and things like that. But, um, right. yeah, so I start my Sunday with church online. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so over here, we actually... We 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 over our reservation <laughs> phase. It's now you can just <laughs> go into stores, um, do whatever um, you know, you, you wish. I mean, of course, uh, with the given uh, restrictions. But I said I said earlier, for me, I feel like things are going too quick. We're moving too fast. Uh, but how is on how is it on your end? How do you feel like you know? Because you guys were you were on a great run. And, you yes, know, we have, you were we, doing we good. And then long lockdown mm-hmm. and many lockdowns, actually. Mm-hmm. I can't even, you know, keep up with the <laughs> amount of lockdowns that we're in at the moment. And mm-hmm. But things are opening up a bit slowly. Right. Um, it's just that we have the problem with the new variants. <laughs> yeah, that is uh, that that is kind of like it's, it's a, like a party pooper because mm. you guys were doing so great with the vaccines. Like literally ahead of entire Europe, but then all of a sudden, I don't know what happened, but you know something to do with the uh, with the Indian variant uh, of, of that. Um, but you know, speaking of, of of you and your, I mean, um, your profession or your studies, um, the new normal that came from this pandemic is that has that been any in any way relevant to you? Uh, and if so, in what way? Um, I think it has and has hasn't because in the UK, 
most of the mental health professionals were working frontline. So we were still going into the office, um, you know, because as the physical health and COVID-19 increased, mm-hmm. what was increasing, the mental health difficulties were increasing too. Um, so we had to go to the office, see people face to face and help them with their mental health. So in a way, I feel like um, the only things that are the new normal for me is just the kind of changes in terms of my social aspect mm-hmm. and um, you know not being able to travel freely and go back home to the Netherlands, for example, because my family is still you know there in the Netherlands. Yeah. Um, and I think also what I've noticed in the pandemic and especially the like the aftermath that now things are opening up again. Yeah. It's almost like we're coming out of this um, big shock in the system that we went through this pandemic, that we've lost people, Mm. families have erupted, that we had to kind of, you know, go and take these vaccines and hold on to those measures. And now, okay, yeah, we're going, we're we're allowed to do all of these things again, but wait a minute, is there time to process what actually happened? Um, Because it's it's very, something very... um, um, unique in history, you know, this period in our life. So, well, yeah, I think, yeah. you know, what makes it unique, it's not the fact that uh, a pandemic is unique, but it's the fact that mm. for us, it's like this generation, um, and especially here in the Western um, um, hemisphere, then it's, you know, it becomes very unique. But, you know, we will talk about those elements that makes it unique um, in a bit, but. Uh, I mean, for me, this is the first time actually having contact with you, right? I mean, last time that you were on the platform, I wasn't here, mm. right? Uh, so I would like to know more about what you do and more importantly, why do you do what you do? So I know you, what you, uh, you're currently on a, on a um, doctorate degree uh, trainee for, uh, um, as a counselor in, uh, in psychology. Like why and and how is that going and what is your um, um, if, of what's your area of research and expertise on this? Okay, yes. So it's really great to meet you because, like I said, it's the first time. Um, my name is Raisa, mm-hmm. and um, I am a training counseling psychologist. And the doctorate is three years. I'm actually finishing my clinical part, so I've finished. <laughs> so I'm, I'm kind of um, pleased that I finally finished the clinical aspect. I've done all my placement hours. I've done all the therapeutic approaches. I just need to finish my research. So counseling psychology is really basically um, a course and a program that trains me to um, work within mental health as a psychologist. Um, we learn about the various mental health difficulties, but we also learn about the therapeutic approaches or the treatment interventions to treat the mental health problems. Um, And the course is also very holistic and uh, person-centered, and those are kind of part of my values as a psychologist. Um, And I've worked in many services during my training because it's just similar to like I think in medicine that you have to go to different placement and things like that. So I've done that as well. Um, I've worked with adults with kind of mild um, to moderate mental health difficulties, such as depression or anxiety. 
Um, and then I've also worked with children and young people with um, any mental health problems. Then I've also worked with um, some of the um, severe mental health difficulties like uh, personality disorders or um, psychosis and schizophrenia um, or like bipolar disorder. Um, and then I've also worked with people experiencing complex trauma, which means basically that they've had early childhood um, traumas like, you know, child abuse, um, domestic violence, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, all of these kind of things that really impact in childhood. Um, but then also experience traumas on the, along their way in growing up as an adult, whether it's bullying, racism, whether it is migration or wars. Um, so I would say that my expertise is in the kind of severe mental health aspect um, and in trauma, I'm really interested in trauma. Um, and that's also what my research is about, partially. Um, my research is about the psychological experience of second-generation Somalis um, whose parents were forced to migrate during the Somali Civil War. I'm really passionate about um, you know, the Black community and I wanted research to, to, to give voice to um, you know, the Black community and I've chosen to specifically focus um, with Somalis, even though I'm Ghanaian. Um, because I grew up basically in Rotterdam and in Rotterdam, when we when you look at the, the different migration groups, um, Somalis were one of them that were um, some, of, some of the largest as well in Rotterdam, um, besides other groups, obviously. Um, so I grew up with them and, um, you know, there's a lot of kind of negative perceptions about um, the Somali community, especially with Islamophobia on the rise and things like that. But I thought that actually we need to, you know, bring the voice for the second generation because it's their parents that had to make that move. Um, but what is that impact on the second generation? And what is the impact of being um, in the Western world, knowing that, you know, they face racism, but also have a historical trauma because of the war? So I'm really looking um, into that. And at the moment, I am not finished with my research yet. Um, but now that I'm done with my clinical aspect, I can fully focus um, on my research. All right. So that's the, the re that's the research you're doing, right? And I asked, how, you know, how far are you with the uh, data collection? Um, ah, okay. Yeah, I didn't hear that question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was like, you know, have you received, um, um, let's say what, collected enough data? And sufficient data to uh, draw a conclusion or like how far are you uh, on that research okay so um can i yes start? please please yeah okay um so yes i am now focusing on my research i am doing a qualitative study mm -hmm. which means i'm not looking at the numbers and then making general statement based on you know the amount of numbers i'm really looking at the subjective experience of my participants and really looking at okay what are the, what is their experience and how they do they make meaning of it and even that is qualified as research because often the time we look at the numbers but we don't know actually what's going on for the person and um whether there are teams that kind of are related to each other um that can inform our theory and, and practice and that's also part of the big why for me that i feel yeah. that in the mental health um field there's limited research on the black community um and 
the research if, if the research that is out there right. is also kind of really not looking at okay how can we then you know use the information we have to inform our theory and practice and better support to the community mm-hmm. um so through qualitative research um that's what, what what my aim is to kind of um explore what their views are explore what their um thoughts about you know some of the the um the questions that i came up with around yeah. their experience living in the west but also their parents yeah. and then hopefully um you know this can help with um practice and theory eventually <laughs> um so i do i have interviewed eight people so far okay. so it is a really small group yeah, small and um i am in the analysis phase okay. although i haven't analyzed every eight of them <laughs> um, <laughs> i mean it's a lot of work i know it's a lot of work Oh man, long process, and I've also kind of like avoided a little bit because (laughs) it has been difficult for everyone, including me. Yeah, so doing my research at home and not having you know a library to go to, or you know, not being able to kind of have I'll, I'll try and have breaks, but. Pre-COVID, I would have breaks by, you know, going to a nice restaurant or meet up with my friends. Yeah. I couldn't do all of that. So nope. I think I've avoided my research a lot during this pandemic. But <laughs> <laughs> now that things are easing up again and I've gone to extension, I can work on it again. So that's I good. Mean, <laughs> and, it's, and it's funny how, you know, sometimes, I mean, um, we found, we have found actually that uh, to be, like to maximize productivity, right? You need that time of leisure, like that time of a, the break is so necessary. And it's not only um, the mental break, I seen you like stop doing the work. It's that break of like getting literally out of that environment. So mm. if you are indoors, have somewhere else to go. Um, mm. And, you know, I mean, p- people working from home had been, this is a big challenge that has, you know, um, that they were facing during um, this, um, you know, this this pandemic. So, you know, I, you know, I fully understand how, you know, you kind of like push it, um, you know, to the side a bit and, and wait on the anal- analysis uh, part. And I also like the fact that, you know, you chose a country that is not, you know, really, it's not Ghanaian, but... Mm-hmm somehow if if you know if the research and the analysis is done properly and everything goes correct we might even um, um, be able to get um to get the uh, what the implications or um or the understanding that you draw from that research we might be able to apply it within our own communities right because i mean we also em- uh, migrate to um country other countries due to let's say personal um problems or, or whatnot um but you know l- let me let me kind of like touch that a bit since we're talking uh, um, uh, you know about uh, about your research because what i know is i'm being a Ghanaian myself right and i can consider myself second generation since my parents are, are the ones that came here but i know they didn't come here um due to let's say a civil war right so in that sense i'm not sure uh, what trauma they were undergoing but i do know that the minute they got here there were other problems mm-hmm. that they might have faced um that can be you know have a psychological effect on, on them um whether they were aware of it or not 
But, you know, first of all, the question is, is this kind of migration also considered forced migration since that is um, the main topic of um, or the main research uh, field of your research? I think it's a really important and interesting question um, because, yes, like you said, I'm focusing on a community that has experienced um, wars. But like you said, the continent of Africa has had, you know, various of challenges due to colonialism, due to slavery, due to all the eruptions um, that have led to, you know, cracks and and, and disruptions in the system Mm -hmm. that make people then leave their country, even though it's not as, you know, perhaps visible as a civil war. Um, But yeah, it definitely counts as forced migration, in my opinion. However, um, in the literature, people would say, well, no, that's maybe more economic uh, migration or voluntary migration, because it's not like they had to leave because of you know, on safety or war or insurgents. Mm-hmm. But in my opinion, I think it is, it, it, for me, it does classify as forced migration because it's about the intention and decision processes behind the reason of um, of leaving. Mm. And um, even though in Ghana there there's no wars, you know, for a family or for our parents to make that decision to leave, um, you know, is still kind of something that, you know, took a lot of thought, took a lot of consideration, weighing up options, feeling like actually maybe this is not the, the the best place and time right now and I need to, you know, go out and find safety for myself. Yeah. And whether, you know, the question is also like, what is considered safety? Is safety only when we go through war or is safety also when there are other issues going on yeah. that make us have to leave our home? And I think that is the essence of forced migration, that you you feel so compelled to leave mm-hmm. um, that you have to kind of take up your bags and, and, and leave your home, the place that is considered as home. Um, so, yeah, I think for me, that's the, 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 the process behind it. Because even if you look at people that left for um, a war, they still had to make the same decision process pretty much they yeah still, yeah yeah they still need to kind of plan it's not just something very impulsive no. you know that because the war has started now we have to leave all of a sudden no they had to weigh their weigh their options no. make decision how how they're going um it, it go, there's a lot of thought and planning and a lot of kind of strength you know um th- that comes up when thinking about mm-hmm. um leaving your country okay and as you said, then you make that journey because this, what I'm saying is all part of the pre-migration is what it's called. But then you also have the kind of the migration on itself. So the, the journey, which um, whether you are leaving your country for war or for other purposes, right. everyone's journey will be different. Okay. You know, some people have the privilege to just take up, take the plane and leave, but other people have to use other means, you know, to get to uh, countries. And um, so that migration journey, and I think that's something that people have seen on the news, you know, that people, you know, go for... On on, um, on boats and stuff, right? Exactly. Take a lot of kind of courage and, and, you know, what do you call it? Um, Risk. Strength to to take that decision, like, okay, I have to go on this boat and go, you know? So this, there's a lot of complex and intricate processes that are involved with migration and then like you said then they come to to the west and there's like another um difficulty because we have racism yeah we have um economic inequality 
Um, you know, we have, um, you know, just a culture shock, a culture shock as well. (laughs) Exactly. So there's so many processes involved in the whole migration story that will have an impact on them psychologically. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. I mean, and, and, and even just and this is just migration, right? This is this can be as simple as, I don't know, the alphabet, but um, because you're looking at it from a psychological point of view, it it has endless amount of layers and that's, mm-hmm. um, you know, and this uh, mental health is one of those things where we, we easily overlook or we easily misjudge or underestimate um, its power and it's you know and and hopefully um, that's why I'm hoping to get out of like from this conversation as saying how deep do things go and especially like um, what uh, what can we take from or any pointers that we, like we can take from this conversation to safeguard ourselves or to help ourselves um, deal with this uh, um, you know um, better mm. but in our, you know, in our African community, um, you know, just on the on that migration bit, because I know for myself, I literally sometimes I try to kind of like ask uh, my parents, "Hey, what was the journey you had to go through? Um, where did you, uh, you know, uh, where did you go? Did you come directly to the Netherlands? Did you go to Belgium? Because there are, you know, there are all these stories. I had to go here first and then stay there for two three years. Um, you know, it was hard and this and that. Um, and I do know that." due to those experiences that's when they they really push us do your studies focus this and that don't waste your time um but the funny thing is something that came up in some of my like initial oh that there's a lot of pressure on the second generation and it makes sense because you know for some of the conversations that i had with the somali participants they felt like actually you know our parents had to leave their place and you know, now I can study, I can do all of these things. Yeah. So they feel there's this kind of almost like a, it's so compelled in them yeah. to then work hard, you know, get a good education, etc. Mm-hmm. And for some of them, that can be helpful, but for others, can it can be unhelpful. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and but also um, where I see, um, let's say, wh- where I see uh, an issue is the fact that because they don't tell us mm-hmm. we don't we can't relate to what they you know the struggle they had to go through is you know they, they yeah. just give us do this do that do that but sometimes we have to be able to relate to let's say your struggle you know it's a human That's thing um but we miss that, that literally what you just said was something that came out of my interview oh, really? <laughs> I, I just had to go back like that was literally what one of my participants said oh, so man. it's so it's so similar isn't it that you know we just want to we, we just, there's a psychological need actually yeah. knowing because a lot of the times with these mig- migration stories and the migration experience it's kept as a secret yeah and then we go about our lives knowing that something has happened. We've seen on the news, we, yeah. we hear we hear stories from others, and we know that our parents are somehow implicated by this, but we don't know how. Yeah. And that makes it really hard um, for our kind of uh, psychological process in terms of what that means to how we view ourselves, mm-hmm. but also how we view the world and others, um, because it's almost like a gap or something that is just left open. 
But what what should we do with it? That's that's you know mm. that's the question. Like, do we should we force our parents? What, like, what what is your advice to um to these things? Like, from what you have you know you, um, the data you've uh, you've collected. Like, um, how should I or how should Ghanaians or how should uh, migrants go about like this issue? Is there something like an easy way to at least help? this um situation that um, um we find ourselves in i think it's also important to acknowledge the why it's maybe difficult for our parents to share their stories because for some of them it can be really re-traumatizing okay. you know we, we don't know what they've experienced and sometimes they want to kind of protect us from knowing how bad it has mm -hmm. been for them or how you know difficult the world can be and etc as parents mm -hmm. so i think that's also um important to acknowledge that for some of our parents it's just really hard to to share that and then there's another layer because opening up and expressing ourselves is already a difficulty mm -hmm. so that on top of the migration story and 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 sharing that is like another hurdle you know um and we also need to be aware um that a lot of our parents probably don't think this is something that we need we need to know you know that they don't understand perhaps that there is a psychological impact and that actually the secrecy and silence can be really difficult to manage as yeah. as young adults yeah. and um so i think it's important to be aware of that and and see if possible there could be conversations right. um and sometimes i'm you know when we say about conversation when we say conversations i feel like there are so many ways of communicating you know you don't need to necessarily sit down and then do this talk or something like that you know there's so many ways of sharing that story whether it's through you know going um showing interest in your parents history and mm -hmm. then showing um them showing pictures and then having a conversation or so doing something with that mm -hmm. or whether it's just going out for a walk and and make it a bit more informal to talk about it because you're right. not necessarily seeing each other face to face and having to sit down but you're actually talking um so there are many ways to to have that conversation but i think it's first of all important that there's an awareness that it is important to have the conversation yeah. um and hopefully by that awareness parents will start to kind of Feel more confident um to share and i think the other difficulty too with sharing is that often parents don't know when is the right moment to share because obviously when you're young mm -hmm. you, they it's understandable that they want to keep that for themselves right. um but it's like okay but when when as a parent can you have this conversation yeah so i think that's another kind of barrier for them um right yeah and you know um you know in uh how do you make let, let's say how do um first first step you said it's to um ensure or to advocate the fact that mental health is you know important or these conversations are important um to to have but there are some let's say misconceptions misnomers mis uh misunderstandings that we still have when it comes to the topic or the world of mental health. So I want I would like you to help me clarify certain things. So first off, when we say mental mental health, what should we think of? Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting and also very complex. Because <laughs> first, when I, when make first it when make I it easy, please make it please easy. <laughs> when I when I think about the questions like, well, you know, in, 
people think about mental health as like, oh, you know, have they either look at the very severe ends, which is people having psychosis and talking to themselves or hallucinations where they see certain things that are not there. Mm-hmm. Um, or we thought we think about depression and low moods and, and yeah. things like that. Yeah. And uh, for me, when I think about mental health, I look at what is the knowledge base? Where does the, the knowledge come, come from when we think about mental health? Um, and in the West, there is a kind of... Um, philosophical knowledgeable underpinning that is based on natural sciences mm-hmm. right and that that's why when we think about physical health we we, te- we we examine we can see it on the scans we can see something happening in the body and then we test and experiment that mm-hmm. and see whether there's something to treat which with this that's what they've tried to do with mental health as well they try and do all of these brain scans look at um look and, and try and find things that could indicate that there is something going on mentally um which you know they haven't fully figured that out yet no. because mental health is still something that can be quite intangible something that is not just something they can just see yeah. um and know that it's there yeah. but that's where the, the western world how they view mental health is something that is um biological something that is based on um psychological processes but also um in terms of social processes which yeah. i will uh, speak to in a bit but then there is also for example our knowledge base as um, people from the continent of Africa mm-hmm. you know we see things um, in, a, in a different perspective than perhaps the West we right. have our own philosophies about God and about um, our ancestors about mm-hmm. nature about all of these kind of things um, that can also impact how we view mental health that's why you know you often see People go to um, perhaps traditional healers or to churches or anything or anything in that realm because that's how we understand things in the world. And for me, there's no right or wrong necessarily. I think the issue with both approaches is that we don't take the consideration of of both. We don't we we either discount kind of the Western or we discount the the African philosophy mm-hmm. um, and actually there's some validity in both. And actually okay. if for some pers- for some people, um, you know, the, the, the traditional or the, the churches is helpful, that can be valid, but can we also then add some of the things that we've learned in natural sciences that actually there are, you know, specific psychological and universal processes mm-hmm. that are involved and that can be treated. Can we merge them? Can we add them together? Can we, you know, uh, do both? But yeah. it often feels like it's either either or rather than Mm. both Mm. um and it's interesting because if you think about physical health we have adopted this idea of having medicine and having going to the doctors and doing all these 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 procedures we've adopted and accepted that Mm -hmm. and all of these things have obviously been evolved through science you know uh, over the years and we as people from the african continent we accept that and we take it on but then for mental health it's it's different you know we don't necessarily um take on the, the the knowledge that has been built upon three years that can actually help them in their emotional and psychological well-being yeah and uh, and, yeah. and if i and if i uh, um you know enter into that um bit i think we'll you know we'll we'll enter into a let's say a, a more social or philosophical um you know <laughs> um, um discussion or conversation um but what i do know is that Yes, like you said, even even 
whether it's African or uh, here in the in the Western or in science, we do there is psychology, right? And we also we take our psychological maybe problems or issues, we take it somewhere, and we find the the place to go to. We can find that in both worlds, in the mm. you know, in the spirit in the spiritual, let's say tra more tra traditional African where we have the priests and we have the churches, the pastors or whatnot. But they cater to a, a certain psychological need from the people, from the congregation. And in the in the Western, in the in science, we go to the psychologists or the, the therapists, and they also cater to a, a certain um, um, psychological needs of, of the people. But more in, you know, um, uh, in as much as we, we do have these these two fields or these two uh, um, different worlds, we still wrestle with, for instance, within the, uh, within the scientific world, we still wrestle with w what is a psychologist and what is a therapist. I mean, for myself, w for years, I thought they were the same. <laughs> they were the same until later on, you know, in my maturing, I, um, I, uh, uh, I, I kind of like um, involved myself with some psychological reading and then I realized, wait, Therapists are not um, psychologists, and psychologists are not um, therapists. So, what's the difference? Like, and where where do the where do they let's say split lanes? Mm. Yeah, I get that question a lot as well, and it is confusing because there's so many like different roles and different yeah. positions, and, and it all has to do with the mind. Anyway, I think I don't. <laughs> yeah, and you know, at the same time. I guess what is also important to think about when we look at, okay, where do I go for help, help is also, yeah. um, you know, how does the person that you look for help to think about mental health? Because um, there are, there, there, like I said, there are different ways of looking at mental health, but even that is another layer because science has their own view of what mental health is. So mm -hmm. you might have clinical psychologists, for example, um, and I'm, I th I'm aware that I'm going to sound very kind of um, thinking in the box. Uh -oh. What's the word for that? <laughs> but basically, I'm I'm, I'm basically trying trying to differentiate. Okay. But right. I know that there's some overlap. Yeah. But for example, clinical psychologists, they um, really focus on the aspect of distress and um, looking at okay, the, how this how abnormal abnormality or um you know weird behavior is manifested and where that comes from okay. um and really look at the experimental kind of aspect of okay we need to find out what this abnormal behavior is and then make sure that we remove it so that's what people could argue or i would argue that sometimes that's quite pathologizing because you're saying there's something wrong and we need to fix it um, and then there is, for example, um, therapists or psychologists that view mental health as something that is created through the society, mm -hmm. you know, through, um, you know, the fact that we have all these aspects in life that we have to grapple with, like socioeconomic factors, um, but also power structures that oppress people. Mm -hmm. And therefore we exhibit those mental health difficulties. Um, so it's almost like, Yes, mental health is something that we experience internally with our thoughts and our feelings and our and our behavior. 
but they're also influenced by what's happening around us, which is that social aspect of mental health. And some therapists or psychologists are really focused on that. Um, and then there are therapists and psychologists, which um, they really focus on the subjective experience on, okay, this is the individual that I have in front of me. And what is the meaning of the, yeah. the, the, the presenting issue, the behavior or the feeling or the thoughts? Sometimes people um, have, um, just think of an example. Sometimes people, um, you know, have difficulties with um, eating, whether it is, um, you know, kind of eating a lot and then um, restricting their eating. Mm -hmm. um, in some cultures, eating a lot is just part of it. It's just mm -hmm. normal. And that's kind of something that is not seen as necessarily um, an issue. Mm -hmm. But in the West, perhaps they would say, well, binge eating and eating a lot is not good. Oh, right. And that sounds, that means that there's something going on. Mm. So some therapists and psychologists really look at, okay, what is actually going on and what does this mean to you? Is this something that is distressing for you or is it something that is part of the culture? Mm. And also if it is um, distressing, what is the meaning behind it? Why Maybe it you're eating a lot because you know, you, you, you can't have control over your, your life because there's COVID going on and you don't have control over it. So you try and stuff yourself. Mm. So there's different meanings. Yeah. Um, I would say that for me, as a counseling psychologist, <laughs> um, we are trained to kind of look at the societal aspect of like, you know, what is the, the things that, um, you know, are in place in societies that really impacts people's mental health yeah. and how can we change that. Um, and also the letter that I spoke about in terms of, you know, what is the meaning around, um, you know, people's distress. And that's how I work with that. Um, and so counselor psychologists, especially, they look at, okay, what is presenting? Mm -hmm. um, and is there psychological theory to explain that? Yeah. And then can we think about what are the possible treatments to, um, you know, either heal it or manage it or um, make it for the person make it in a way for the person that they can at least still have a quality of life right therapists they often of times practice through one um approach okay um and they really more, moreover focus on the relationship so they really focus on okay we need to build a relationship and then through that relationship you get healing you get you know the 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 the, the experience of me as a therapist will create healing so they are, um, I mean, they're still valuable, but I guess the, psycholo the psychologists have a bit more knowledge to tap onto and to they have more kind of approaches that they've been trained in as well. Right. So they can use different you know, methods basically. And that's why it's really a science-based profession because we're literally using all of these methods to tap to, 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 to see, okay, it, will this fit with this person? Yeah. Is that the person's needs? Yeah. Rather than just having one approach, which we often see with therapists or psychotherapists and and and, and I, I mean which one do you you prefer i mean of course you are you know you're doing counseling uh, psychology but i mean i've had my own experience of therapy um as oh really i have to go through therapy yeah oh geez well i mean it's it's <laughs> it's funny because i mean well not funny like uh, um you know uh, funny to laugh at but they they do say that um let's say many psychologists or therapists themselves have either gone through therapy have had to go through therapy themselves um uh, which also to me it, i'm like 
does um is that why it's best suited for them it's like i don't know if you want to become a football coach right like you literally had to add foot play football yourself not only just studied it or like watch it but you literally had to undergo um you know the the journey and it also shows that that no one ex- exempted from you know having to you know um go uh, what either therapy or you know or one way or, or another so even if the psychologist or the therapist had to go through um therapy sometime then you know best believe we who you know have want or who have nothing to do with that um from a professional um perspective you know that i think we also really have to think twice or um you know also think about the possibilities of ourselves having to undergo um such a such a process and with I mean, this I, I, and with this conversation we we'll, you know we will we will get more of that yeah you were trying to say no i just wanted to say that you know therapy sounds also quite i don't know sometimes a bit daunting like okay but what is therapy how does that look like it's not like i'm going to the to the doctor and just get a medication mm-hmm. you know so it 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 can feel really daunting and i think not every psychologist goes to ther- goes to therapy just to make that note no 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 uh, <laughs> but for me it was really helpful because I felt like going through the process myself, I could then understand what it feels like for the client to then be with me. Um, and also knowing that, you know, in therapy, you it, it, it can be scary because you have to open yourself to someone that you don't know. Um, and depending on, you know, whether you go to a therapist or a psychologist, right. you go through a lot of depth as well. And um, it's interesting because we... I had the conversation uh, this this week because we were ending with the with the doctorate, and for me the doctorate was really intense. And uh, one of the lectures made kind of a, a kind of an uh, example of actually how intense therapy can be. That sometimes you have to really go through the pain, and it's so difficult. But after you get out of that, it's so you know because I now have mm-hmm. ended the doctorate and I feel actually really good. I'm really proud of myself, and that's similar to therapy that you go through this kind of really difficult something that you want to avoid areas of life but then finally you've expressed it you've made meaning of it you understand it and then you feel so much better after yeah they do say what that the the process itself of going through therapy is already let's say healing or therapeutical Mm. you know the fact that you just but that's i think where people also i mean fall off because i i've had friends or um, colleagues who said they started therapy but then you know i'm one who always come back hey how is that going oh it's been a while since you know i've gone but you know i'll try to go next time and that already you know it gives me that yeah it's not it's not easy at all but mm. here's a question for the the therapist or the for the psychologist themselves mm-hmm. um or let's say for you for yourself if you if you were um like to counsel someone right can that also be therapeutical to yourself or is it or is there only you know one receiver and the other one is just a bystander like how is that <laughs> i mean again it really depends on the 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 knowledge base what what which approach you're coming from so for mm. me as a counseling psychologist we really focus on the relationship we really focus on what is their needs what is their meaning so for um counseling psychologists as me the therapeutic relationship 
it's both ways because um again you're witnessing someone's pain right. and some of someone's pain can also be related to related to my own pain or my own issues and things like that so even though the space is for the client which we always you know daily holds and it's the boundaries yeah. in a way it can still impact us as well because we're human mm -hmm. so sometimes it can impact us in a way that actually we feel really hopeful or encouraging for that person to go through the pain and come out of it oh, because yeah. we can we can see and feel that actually this person wants to make so much out of their life <laughs> but they're in this pain right now yeah. so we empathize in that way right yeah. um so these kind of process does happen both ways so for the for the psychologist and for the for the clients but at the end of the day it's about the client space and what they're trying to you know work on right. in the relationship yeah. so if you if so if you come across a therapist that makes it their own then that's a red flag that <laughs> that's a red flag but i also think um sometimes when people go through therapy and then they stop there could be different reasons but i feel like for the black african community mm -hmm. Because we don't have many uh, psychologists that understand our, that are from the same background, mm -hmm. we often, you know, um, experience racism and discriminations in even the therapy room as well. Oh wow! You know, we there have been studies, for example, that um, people have been asked, you know, unacceptable questions related to their culture or religion, um, which then puts people off. Oh. Sometimes there's mistrust around kind of mental health services. Um, and that could be based on various, you know, negative perceptions right. of the structures and services that are, that are there. Um, sometimes people feel like actually the, 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 the services are not accessible or they don't feel like the service can understand what they're going through because it's based on their philosophy, right? That, yeah. How they do things. <laughs> so it, sometimes there is kind of this disconnect that makes people, you know, um, mm -hmm. yeah, not feel really encouraged to, to, to find help. And, uh, and, and uh, just, you know, on the, on the, uh, on the therapist or psychologist bit, um, how to spot a good psychologist or therapist? Mm. How, how, how do we do that? Um, well, it first depends on which country you're in. <laughs> um, in, the, in the Netherlands, obviously, we have registered psychologists. We have registered therapists. That's the most important, that they're registered. Um, in the UK, as well, similarly, we have registered like therapists and registered psychologists because they have to adhere to um, some of the policies and kind of rules and ethics. Hmm. Um, so people that are not registered often in times are not bound to that so they can't all you know if you have a complaint for example about a therapist you can't complain if that person not registered right. so that registration gives some protection for the community actually mm. uh, so that's a one important bit and um then i would say you would have to go to the first session and find out like how you connect with that person when i get like referrals or people asking for therapy for me from me i always tell them you know you don't necessarily need to choose me straight away go and you know look for other people and see how you connect with them yeah. um because often the time we we notice whether mm, this is not really going to gel <laughs> this is not really <laughs> but but then you feel like actually maybe i should still go yeah. no just stop. if you feel like it's not connecting yeah. then don't do it um 
and yeah, again, also the, look at what their expertises are. What, what you know, if they if they have some online presence to to, to Google or get some reviews from, that could be helpful. Right. But oftentimes, you know, when um, people need mental health services, they either go through the doctor or the GP. So then you yeah. don't have much choice. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, because they're under the medical aspect, you you know, you can still kind of um, what's the word called trust that you'll be okay the problem is you won't have the able you don't have the ability to choose who you want to see yeah, yeah that's yeah. the problem with going through the doctor's routes to right. the gp route. right okay um yeah that's uh that's an important note um so you know for those who just um who just tuned in this is still africa on focus on high radio the voice of the next generation i'm here talking um with or speaking with the uh um, Raisa Kumaga, is that is that is that even a Ghanaian um, last name? Is it? Oh, first time hearing. <laughs> it yeah. sounds like Uganda or Zambian, but uh, mm. um, a lovely um, surname. Um, we we were talking on um, on the topic mental health, like you know how serious um, is it, and more importantly, like how can we how can we do better for ourselves. Um, um, Raisa, just coming from this, you know, pandemic, right? So, you know, we are in the latest stages or like last stages of, of, uh, of the, um, Corona pandemic. I think a month ago or about like six weeks ago, I, um, I had a newsflash within our newsflash. We had this article, um, that literally read that the amount of, um, of let's say incidents or warnings coming in from people with burnouts had doubled during the pandemic and of course this comes to no surprise you know i mean we expected we we, you know we had been expecting this but it showed that the pandemic had you know its impact on our mental health not necessarily the coronavirus itself but the society or the environment it had created mainly the the lockdown right um so you know just to to speak on uh, on burnout because yo burnout is (laughs) um it's a you know some some people call it that the 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 silent killer um but yeah burnout is you know it's really um it's as as quite as as a thief but um can be very very deadly um so can you not you know can you like speak a bit on what is a burnout and you know let's say uh, and are we able to contain um, a burnout or is it something that is totally out outside of our you know our our individual control I think um, it's a really good point, a point that you're raising with burnouts during the pandemic, because I think as well, especially the perhaps was it the first lockdown or the second lockdown where people were just really encouraging everyone to like work hard, you know, work hard, be productive. Oh, you're at home. You can get more things done. Yeah. Oh, you can be entrepreneurial. Da, 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 all of these kind of discourses and yeah. conversations about working hard even though the the fact that we're going through a pandemic which is traumatic in itself um so i'm not surprised that the burn burnout rates have increased Mm. because there's a real pressure from society to 
you know, <laughs> pull through and get on with things and be creative and find new entrepreneurial things. But actually, um, you know, burnout is it's one of those serious mental health problems as well, because like you said, it is a silent, um, a, a, a silent process. People often uh, don't notice it. Mm -hmm. Some of the um, symptoms or aspects that people experience is that they feel really tired okay. um, or they feel that there's a disconnect with, um, you know, their job in terms of their motivation and interest in the job. Right. And feeling as if, you know, you don't have any ability to do the job and um, feel really kind of uh, critical about your performance and about how you relate to others in your job. Mm -hmm. And um, it's really kind of um, closely aligned with stress. Right. Um, and, you know, the, the worries about doing well, but also the worries about performance and the pressure around that. And um, some of the earliest signs of burnout is when you notice that you just kind of have a dread of going to, 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 to work. I mean, everyone has this dread on Sunday, right? You had your weekends, mm -hmm. it was really fun. And then on Sunday, you have this dread of, oh, Monday, going Monday. back to work. <laughs> everyone has that. But with burnout, it's that constant feeling. Mm. Like it never ends. It always There's always this tiredness and dread of going to work mm. and that you actually don't feel satisfied anymore. Mm -hmm. And that can be a serious tool, especially because you know that you need a job because you need an income, you need, you have all these responsibilities, right. but then you're not happy in your job, or you don't feel um, like you used to feel in your job. Yeah. Um, so it is, it's something that is, that has a physical aspect because of the tiredness, but also sometimes when we have, you know, that stress levels are increased, we have more headaches, more mm. even, um, you know, in, intestinal issues. Yeah um because of the high levels of stress in our body um and then there's also the emotional aspect which you know you have this these negative thoughts those worry thoughts um and also a lot of um how do you call it less energy to get your work done and things like that mood swings and mood swings as well um so yeah that there's those are kind of the, the symptoms of um burnout and I mean, now that we're easing from lockdown, um, I think it's going to be another kind of layer because now it's like the pressure of um, going back into the office, mm. which you know, some people are dreading as well. Um, and, you know, if burnouts are not kind of attended to, it can lead to even other mental health difficulties. Mm -hmm. so some, for some people that are, for example, in the helping profession, we are seeing that a lot with the frontline workers that had to work during COVID. Right. There's a lot of burnout and kind of um, fatigue in terms of helping because it's just, so it's been so draining. It has been difficult, but then we also have systems that are not really helping us in this. So there's this constant battle and then you just get tired of everything and you just want to give up. Um, and that's where, you know, the mental health difficulties starts to increase because then you become anxious or then you feel suicidal because you have all of these thoughts that are saying, this is too much. Yeah. I can't do this anymore. I want to give up. All of these thoughts that come up um, and just, you know, can exacerbate our, um, yeah, psychological and emotional well-being. But, but is there anything like we we can do is or is, you know, is burnout something, you know, you, you just have to take it and then hope um, it's, you know, it, it departs or leaves you uh, um, alone, you know, mm. what, why are you I think, I think i think with burnouts it's really important to to be aware when like almost 
almost to kind of um, be more aware of what's happening internally. I think that mm. that is something that we um, Black Africans, Africans shy away of, like what's actually going on with me right now in my mind, my thoughts. Oftentimes when what I see is that we notice it and then we shrug, shrug it away, we kind of like, okay, yeah, that goes under the carpet, you know? But the more you do that, the more you avoid what your internal experience is, the more you're going to get into a burnout and into into more mental health problems. So I think the first step is to be aware of what's happening within me. What are the kind of thoughts mm -hmm. that I'm having? How am I feeling? Um, and, you know, some work jobs, I guess, are more um, supportive than others. Right. I know when we think about mental health in general, there's still just this stigma around mental health. People just think that you should get on with things and do it and et cetera. So some job, some workplace uh, settings are not supportive, but I think, you know, even when we look at the World Health Organizations and the global mental health kind of attitude, yeah. people are getting more aware of actually we need to look at our workers and our employees and be more compassionate and aware that, you know, sometimes things are hard and we need to support the people that we employ. Right. But I can imagine that in some workplace settings, it can be, still be difficult. But if you do have a workplace setting that is open and um, supportive it's important to let them know it's important to, to you know to reduce um whatever can be reduced right. to give you some balance because i think often at times there's a there's limited balance in our lives we're just overworking focusing on performance working working and being productive but then we don't have a balance we don't have enough um time out to just kind of wind down yeah but i also believe that for burnouts um what is it um, very big factor as well is um, when we have perfectionistic traits where we feel like, oh, we need to do everything well. And, um, you know, we, f we feel really anxious or worried if we don't do it well. Those are yeah. the kind of things as well that put you in risk of developing okay. burnouts because it's almost like there's no space to make mistakes. So there's no space to kind of uh, have a day where you're like, oh, no, I can't be bothered today. You know, I'm going right. to just chill because people with perfectionist traits feel that that is almost like um, a violence to their, integ their integrity and their selves. Mm -hmm. Like it's almost like, you you know, you can't allow yourself to take that break. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And these processes, again, can be quite complex. There could be so many factors <laughs> you know, behind why we, you have these threats. It yeah. could be the migration, right, that you feel like oh, your yeah. parents have brought you here so now you have to do really well and yeah, etc yeah. so then you don't give yourself the space to actually take a break or pace yourself and yeah. etc yeah that, um and um you know i like the fact that um you just you know you just uh mentioned or i mean this is what i took from it is that how you also go about on uh, with burnout is we have to take care of each other we are let's say we have to look out for our colleagues as well so not only should they be aware of themselves, but it's also good for for us, whether colleagues or employers, to also um, ask ask after them or ask for their 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 well being. Mm -hmm. But you know what kind of when, I don't know if you have the the figures on this, but uh, would you say that within the African community that uh, we have a high case of burnout more than let's say within the European community or are you saying or would you say actually the Europeans have it more than the Africans since I know my mom has been working she, she just works work work I'm like one day you you follow <laughs> right but she you know she keeps on working and 
she's not um, necessarily uh, a perf- uh, perf- uh, perfectionist, right? But again, you know, her, her past or that, you know, that keeps driving her to keep on working. But And somehow, I don't know, maybe it's the church that is uh, putting her at ease or, um, you know, co- um, catering to her mental um, health. But she's pulling through. And it doesn't seem like she will have a burnout, or maybe she she's already had it, but she she does she wasn't aware of it. But yeah, you know, burnout in um, African communities versus European communities. Like, you know, what are your thoughts um, on that? Yeah, I don't have the specific statistics. I'm um, unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> but I can speak. To, I can definitely speak to that because I feel for for our parents. First of all, you know, there is this kind of. Um, um aspect of resilience you know that they keep on going they have this you know almost um internalized goal and value of i need to work because mm-hmm. and that drives them but like you said they also kind of there are aspects where they are finding their break or their um way of tuning off from work but i also wonder whether some of our parents um are plowing through but it then comes out in physical health problems because you know, in the African community, there are physical health problems. So sometimes it doesn't necessarily come out mentally, but it could come out in this, the high levels of stress and then um, having um, various physical health problems. Okay. Um, but I can definitely, I can also say that, and that maybe is not necessarily around burnout, but more around mental health, is that, um, you know, the black community does experience high levels of mental health difficulties um and i would say that we when we look and compare with the 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 white population we're looking at the disproportionate rates Mm -hmm. so even though um the white population for example experiences suicidal thoughts and they are able to kind of um express that they have suicidal thoughts Mm -hmm. the suicide rates of the actual completion is higher for young you know young black african men um, and middle-aged black African men. Oh. So that's just something, isn't it? That, you know, the, the, the disproportionate rate is quite high and there's okay. this high kind of um, um, difference between the white population and the, the, the black African community in terms of the mental health experiences. And perhaps maybe it's also because, like like we said earlier, mm-hmm. we often, you know, don't express our feelings, um, but we also face, um, you know, various difficulties in our lives, such as, um, you know, long-standing health issues, social issues, systemic inequalities, and we are just expected to plow through, mm-hmm. you know, without yeah. any breaks, without any yeah. jobs, without any financial satisfaction. We just keep on going. Yeah. And at the end, it will it will have a toll on us. And um, maybe it's not the first generation, but it could be the second generation, the third generation. So we really need to, like I said, look out after ourselves right um even though we don't see it in others it can come out in various ways yeah okay um so you know um uh, we we going we're getting towards the uh the end of our um, conversation unfortunately because there are so <laughs> many there's literally so many um questions I, I i want to ask um why because they are they are very important mm. um i mean from this conversation alone i I'm able to understand that our mental health is affected by so many things. Oh, you already said there's so many layers to 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 it, you know. And uh, 
simply uh, dealing with different individuals, that also impacts, you know, your own uh, mental health, not only your work, but, you know, your family, your parents in, uh, specifically, but also your culture um, has an impact on on your mental health, right? Um, I know one of the things you said is that social media, <laughs> social media also has its effect on uh, mental health. Can you please, you know, can you speak on, on, on that, on that bit? Yes. Um, I think in the context of the pandemic, I feel like the social media has also been really helpful. Okay. Um, because again, we found communities online. We found Clubhouse. TikTok, <laughs> you know, Clubhouse. We found Clubhouse, yes. on, you know, that really has helped with our well-being. We've had TikTok with all these yeah. dances. All of those kind of things are ways to look after ourselves, isn't it? It's ways right. where we are doing something or we're connecting with people or we are sharing um, you know, how how we're doing this dance and laughing with each other. All of that, those things are good for our well-being. Um, I guess the only problem is that sometimes we also have kind of a, I don't know how to, how to say, like a dark side or an unhelpful mm -hmm. side of social media. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, things like, for example, platforms where the focus has been on, you know, how a person is, liked and how popular they are as well as this kind of fear of missing out and feeling like oh their lives are better than my lives can really impact our ourselves um, and also again how we view ourselves and others because if you feel like well my life is not like this person that um you know even though during lockdown they've been able to do all of these stuff and they've uh, showed it on the on the, the lives with their stories and you know, it, it gives kind of this feeling of comparison and feeling like we are lesser than, mm -hmm. um, which is the, the, yeah, the challenging aspect of social media platforms. Um, I do believe that they are trying to change things. Like I, I recently saw that social media has removed the, the amount of like buttons. So you can only see like one person liking a, a post and then others. Was it, was it Facebook? Um, I think it was Instagram. I'm not sure if oh, Facebook has done it, but I've seen it on Instagram I'm, I'm and I put it on my in Instagram post as well. Because of these oh. things, they, they, I think they do make a make a difference because we are so kind of let by, you know, what oh, is oh. now with the limelight and important. Yeah, and it's all because we we are we are individuals that want to be like in groups. We want to be liked. We want to be accepted. We want yeah. to be part of something. Yeah. because rejection. And isolation and loneliness Ooh. again brings up a lot of <laughs> feelings. That triggers so our mental sense. health. <laughs> exactly. So it makes sense that we want to belong and want to yeah. be seen as admirable and things like that. Yes. Um, but yeah, social media is definitely a platform where these kind of things get exacerbated and then have a negative impact. Okay. 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 Very important. Um, what is your advice on uh, um, you know how should we go about with social media then? Mm. I mean, it's important to have breaks with social media. Definitely. Wow, what kind of breaks? That's something, that's something that I try to tell myself as well, to take <laughs> breaks. Not sure how good I am in it, but, um, you know, it's it's important to have breaks and not be kind of over-engaged with it. Mm -hmm. um, I would also say, like, know who you follow, you know, what other kind of content are you seeing? Um, is it kind of content that are, that's always focused on, do better and live life and da, 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 and not showing the other sides, 
you know, that, that will also impact you because you're seeing and your brain is processing this mm. and making meaning out of it. And mm. then you start to then question yourself, why am I not able to do it? So mm. it's important to know who, what kind of content you're following. Um, and again, you know, it's important to also find interest somewhere else because I feel like sometimes with the young people, it's they their phone has been their their kind of um, what's the word called? Like it's so important in their lives that you, that we then forget that actually we have other things in our lives too. Oh, we have yeah. hobbies and we can think about other things to do yeah. rather than just being on the phone. Yeah. And I really noticed that in my practice as well, that when I think, when I speak to my young people about, okay, how, we, how are you balancing your life? And it's like, oh, most of the time I'm just on my, in my room and my phone. And I was like that too. But I, and then now that I'm older, I'm noticing actually I need to figure out what my hobbies are. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what do I actually like to do? And I think the pandemic has really given that chance as well, you know, to, to open up people like actually there's more too. than just work and being on the phone yeah i can actually engage with painting or actually engage with making music or you know other things writing so again balance balance your activities you can still have social media um but balance that with other things that you enjoy okay okay important um you know you know when when you said um you know the pandemic has uh you know let's say helped us in a way that it kind of like forced us to expose ourselves to other things um i was thinking yeah but that's because we got bored of what, yeah. <laughs> of what we were doing so yeah. <laughs> so now the world is opening up again i think people who started um let's say you know undercovering or uh, discovering new skills they're like oh, i leave that you know people who picked up their, um, their their piano or guitar um to you know to practice they were like, oh, clubs are opening. Okay, we're going out to restaurants and, and parks and this and that. Um, but yeah, we'll see. Um, we'll see. Um, I think it's important develops. that we keep doing it, isn't it? Because even though the pandemic has been hard, we've also learned lots of it. And it's helpful if we can keep to and and and, and, yeah. and um, keep those things that really helped with our well-being. Yeah, if you've noticed that actually during the pandemic, um, going out for a walk, use that as self-care use that as a way to kind of channel and, and yeah, but, and, but and you know how people are you know how people are you know how uh, people will get and you know they 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 might you know they'll be like yeah i'm, I'm, I'm gonna get back to it but you know <laughs> uh within their minds and you know why um that's where you know psychology um is really um gets interesting and I'm reading this book on, you know, it's called The Elephant in the Brain, where we know that these things will help us, but somehow we would still go out and kind of like pretty much waste our time on um, glamorizing stuff. But, uh, you know, this has been a very, this has been a lovely conversation. Um, I've had, I'm, I'm receiving um, fl uh, tons of messages coming in through our, our Facebook, uh, I mean, YouTube um youtube streams and unfortunately i hadn't get um gotten the time to go into that all of them but i will see if i can find a question uh as a as a as a closure if you don't mind uh raisa yeah, all right so you know um i have fred or you know man dunking or who who was um who commented africans are known for being physically strong um, and is this is this mental health? Does it is it does it 
is it only go in Europe or in Africa do they also have this problem as well we can't like touch it but can you uh if you can have an answer for uh for a man donking that would be nice yeah mental health is an issue everywhere um so even in the continent of africa you see mental health difficulties the only thing is it's it's manifested in perhaps in a different way than maybe in the west so perhaps in the in the continent you see people either um seen or labeled as crazy because they do loads of their behaviors feels like not normal to the rest of the population um and then you know they go to these kind of camps and they um you know i think there was a few years ago a documentary about those camps as well um so i think that's like one side of the story but then there's another story where there are people experiencing mental health difficulties in in the continent of africa that maybe that perhaps um not necessarily show it in terms of like the thoughts feelings but maybe a lot in their behavior mm-hmm. or maybe a lot in their physical health because physical health and mental health are quite aligned mm-hmm. it's not just a split thing so for example you see people drinking a lot or using other kind of substances right and mm-hmm. there substances. is a reason why we do that there's a reason why we where you where you notice that people drink a lot or where you notice that people use a certain substance or use a lot because there's something internally going on. Mm. But often it's so it's so deeply buried mm. um, that you know it almost it doesn't it doesn't surface. So the only way to kind of manage what we're feeling that we don't understand what we're feeling is by drinking or by using um, substances. So that's you know those kind of things do do present themselves right. on the continent. Right, um, and so then. Um, um, hits um, 99 FM is asking so how do you know and notice or how do you notice someone is going through let's say you know um, is struggling with their mental uh, with their mental health and mm-hmm. also um, as, as a as a question to that is also let's say um, as a follow up question how do we um, engage in such a conversation with such a person yeah i think that's you know i almost felt like that that question had to go uh, oh, the other the way other around way. <laughs> yeah, because you know in order to notice that someone is struggling that the other person needs to feel mm. safe to speak about it and be able to express themselves mm-hmm. but if that person is in an environment where mental health is stigmatized or demonized or seen as that's wrong you can't feel like that you need to just go on and and, and, and do life or not think about it you're just thinking about it too much. Like all the messages about mental health will have an impact on how freely the person would feel to speak about it. Mm-hmm. And also it will impact on how much you would notice if that person is struggling. Because, you know, we can we can keep a lot of things for ourselves and um, present ourselves like we're doing fine. Mm-hmm. But actually internally there's a lot going on and there's a lot of shame there's a lot of blame going on that it's our fault or that we can't say right. things because we'll be judged. Yeah. Um, so the first step is to, you know, have conversation like this so we can make mental health and our emotional well-being more open, more accessible to everyone. Something that we can just discuss as something that is part of our life and part of being human, you know, that sometimes things are really difficult. 
and that that doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you if, if, if it is difficult and even if you and even if um, there are aspects that we feel like oh actually I'm thinking about things or doing things that are not necessarily seen in the normal population I'm a bit normal because again different knowledges um, <laughs> but if you notice that there's certain kind of for example sometimes people have very intrusive thoughts that feel really, really bizarre. Mm -hmm. And they think this is really wrong. I shouldn't be thinking this. Even then we should be open that these things exist yeah. and that there's actually support out there to manage those thoughts. Or even if there's certain behaviors that people do that, that they think, actually, I don't think other people might be doing this um, or maybe I'm doing it too excessively. Again, there is support out there. So it's important that we start to begin to open up the conversations more, to open up the fact that there are things that people experience, whether it is in the abnormal side or in the day-to-day -day side. Mm -hmm. the psychological processes are part of us as human beings. And then once that is established, then we have to have like another conversation that people will be able to express themselves and, and feel accepted and non not judged, not judged by the people right. by the person because a lot of people might want to say it but they just are worried about the judgment and they're worried about what's going to happen once they say <sighs> what's yeah. going on so yeah. it's really important that we look out for people that we um you know speak to them but also that we are free and share our own struggles too yeah. right because then if i for example you know i know i'm a psychologist but if i remove that hat and i speak to my friends and i say actually i'm feeling really you know, shit right now. Yeah. Well, that gives them the confidence. Okay, she's expressing herself and sharing how she feels. Maybe I can share how, how I'm feeling. So these kind of things are really important that we are open towards what we're experiencing um, and that we approach it in a non-judgmental way. Right. And, uh, you know, that non-judgmental way um, can be sometimes difficult because we're humans and humans like to judge. <laughs> Um, but hey, um, uh, Raisa, thank you so much. Um, uh, I don't know, um, how to thank you more, but I am so I'm blessed with, um, having this conversation with you, um, this Sunday. Um, uh, it hasn't been, let's say, um, easy with, uh, I'm, I mean, you have, you've had quite a busy week. I mean, of course you just finished your, your doctorate, um, degree, uh, of which you are very um, proud of, uh, rightfully so, and also happy about, but you still managed to, to have this time um, for us and uh, to come on our platform and have this conversation. Mental health is something I would like iRadio or African Focus, you know, we would like to um, speak more on it because, again, the first step is to make it more, let's say, common within the community to even yeah. talk about it, right? So we will see to have this conversation more often and we would be pleased if you, you know, you would join us a couple more times in the future. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I'm happy to like, once I got my research done, to like come back again and then we can have like a full migration, yeah. you know, experience topic. Exactly. Um, so yeah, I'm happy to do that. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, with that being said, um, you know, thank, thank my YouTubers for tuning in. I know someone commented, I've, I can't, uh, you know, I should read all the comments. But, you know, honestly, there are just too many. And, you know, and this is such a complex um, um, what topic. But yes. definitely, Raisa 
Kumaga, Miss Raisa Kumaga. I don't know if it's a Mrs. But she will be back. She's she's promised to to come back on the on the platform. So African Focus Higher Radio is definitely going to um to have her back. Uh, I'm also you know going to um, sign out, and we will do that with a a, a great song. Right. Thank you. Thank for you very much. To Africa uh, on Focus. We air live every Sunday on High Radio from 7 p.m. Amsterdam time. Join the Africa on Focus platform on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Africa on Focus or visit www.africaonfocus.com. And follow me on all your social platforms, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Miss Abba. Shout out to High Radio and Q Vibe for the jingle. <laughs>